This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and welcome to Garden of Sound, brought to you by The Nephilist. I'm your host Ian Turner and my guest today is Glenn Bodger. But first, if you enjoy Garden of Sound, head to gardenofsound.nz and subscribe to the show via one of the podcast providers on the front page. Okay, Glenn Bodger. Based in Christchurch, Glenn is a singer-songwriter who once upon a time was lead vocalist for Auckland band Braintree. He's been at it a while, singing and playing and writing and recording, but it's only this year that he's released his debut album, I'll Leave the Light On. It's been described as lo-fi and boutique and really real, but will Glenn's sometimes confronting style find the market it truly deserves? This is the Garden of Sound interview with Glenn Bodger on Plains FM 96.9. Glenn, have you got a first memory of music? My parents have told me about this, and I do remember it as getting Dad's old Beatles records and putting them on the the record player, and then grabbing the arm and then scratching the heck out of them. And apparently, the reason was is that I just I loved to listen to to music. So here I was, at, I think I must have been about three, taking these records out, putting it on Dad's old record player, and yeah, unfortunately damaging probably some original pressings of the Beatles. What is your favourite Beatles song? I've always really liked the Sgt Pepper's album. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, um, uh, She's Leaving Home, actually, mm-hmm. which is quite an interesting ballad, but I I, I just found that it, it kind of really touched that time of what they were sort of singing about. Is this even back as a young person that sort of resonated, or was that something when you were older? That would have been really in my early teens, okay. yeah, okay. yeah, when I first heard that album. So mum and dad have got some musical taste. <laughs> um, aside from the Beatles, what else was um, flying around home? I definitely remember Elton John and Johnny Cash, mm-hmm. and I remember ABBA Records. Was there anything left field? Not really, not that I can recall. Yeah. Yeah. Were they musical at all? I mean, would Cat Stevens be considered left field back then? I oh, don't know. A little bit hippie-ish, I yeah. guess, but still popular. Morning is Broken yeah, yeah. and Father and Son and, and yeah. all the rest of them. Yeah. Yeah, I would put him in that pile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's possibly if, you know, if you've got a little bit of Hendrix in there, you know, you're sort of heading off in a, in a different direction. Yeah, yeah. No, they didn't really go for the Hendrix kind of vibe. So pretty middle of the road. I think so, yeah. <laughs> where, does the, where does the musical education come in? Were there lessons? Were there guitar lessons? Were there singing lessons? Or was it just, you know, just happened one day? Because I've always been interested in music ever since I can remember, obviously starting Destroying with the, records. Yeah, destroying records. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had like a, a an early fascination with the drums. I must have worn my parents down yeah. to get drum lessons. Yep. And I remember for my ninth birthday, um, Dad coming home from work, and I saw this drum kit in the in the back of the car, and so my eyes lit up. So they, I think they had scored this cheap secondhand kit off somebody that they yep. knew, and and then I started lessons with somebody that we knew who was 
a drummer who had been a drummer for a mm. long time. So I think he just gave me free lessons once a week. And I did that for about four years. Mm-hmm. So that would have taken me through to about age 13. You know, so that's early high school days. Yep. And then I met, you kind of start to figure out who are the other musicians at, at high school. Mm-hmm. You know, you find out soon enough who plays what. And then you kind of, that sort of starts off a, a bit of a connection. Mm. And then you sort of start to get to know people, but you're, you're sort of, you're starting to sort of jam with them in the garage, you yep. know, that's, it all starts in the garage and, yeah, yeah. and, and I'm sure it, it's horrendous to, to the parents, and, yeah. but that's the way we started. And so I, I played drums for, for a few different bands, I suppose, in high school around yeah. that time. Yeah. And of course, back, back then, because, you know, a lot of people weren't, weren't in bands. Yep. If you played at the school hall, you know, it was a big deal. You yeah. Know? We were just playing um, probably hard rock covers yep. and, and, and some originals. Uh-huh. Um, Did you have any uh, drumming idols at that point? So early teens is probably when I discovered, along with other bands uh, at that time, Van Halen. Okay. So I think Alex Van Halen yep. was a bit of an influence. Mm-hmm. It was around the time that I really started to get to hear a bit more of Bruce Springsteen, only on the radio. Yep. But I always sort of, I found that, Listening to his drummer, whose name I can't recall, I found that his drumming style was had influenced me. I don't know. I guess through just listening to them play. I don't know. It's um, another drummer that I really admired. Again, like his name doesn't come to mind, but the old drummer for um, John Mellencamp. Mm-hmm. Actually, I thought he had great feel. And yep. then, then sort of later on, there's things like you know John Bonham, who's just a beast. Yeah. You know, with amazing feel. Yeah. As I moved into sort of my later teens, I started to move into singing, where you would fixate on being technical with your instrument, you know, often as teens do. The thing that really, really attracts me the most is the song. Okay. And I I suppose I enjoyed singing and and a couple of my bandmates encouraged me to to give it a go. When you say the song, are you talking about the vibe or the feel the vocal melody, I suppose, has always been a big attractant for me to yeah. a song. Yep. Because I guess it's the overall picture and story and vibe and yeah, the feeling and the passion and the you know, the words of course. Um but all of the instrumentation all put together, I suppose it's you know, when all of those things click it can be quite awesome. And so it was just the song rather than um, for example, bless guitarists, but some guitarists are so into their guitars and their techniques and their mm. sound, and their, you get those you get those musicians who are all about the technical. Yep. Um, I guess I just lean the other way, where it's yep. more about the the overall. Hey, this what's it about? You know. And, yeah. And what drew me to music in the first place was the songs. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I normally ask about influences and who is influenced. Uh, your music as it sits currently, but who were you listening to late teens, early twenties? What sort of bands? Yeah, so I think that's the the biggest part of the musical influence uh, in my life was was during that time. So when I was sort of around eighteen, you know, the 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 big bands at the time there were a lot of hair metal bands. I think around that time. Yep. Which wasn't really, uh, well, we went through a phase of that a few years earlier, me and my friends, but hitting around 18, I remember hearing um, the Soundgarden album Louder Than Love. Okay. 
for the first time and I was like what is this you know it was really different to what was yeah you know what was in the mainstream um in terms of rock um and then um Jane's Addiction I heard the the Nothing Shocking album mm-hmm. and it was like far out this is you know th- th- yep. th- another different album different from Soundgarden and then um Nirvana and then I mean Nirvana it sort of everything exploded um and, and I think that whole early 90s thing just was a massive musical impact on me yeah. and my fellow bandmates friends it was just this along with the music I suppose there was a culture and there was just so many good albums coming out. They just seemed to keep coming and coming, you know. Yeah. I remember hearing the first Smashing Pumpkins album, and it was like, wow, these guys are different again, you know. And so there was We're a lot of gish, aren't gish. We? Yeah. And then, you know, Jane's Addiction's third album, or the second studio album, you know, uh, Ritual, Ritual d Habitual, was just like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, and, and yeah. so... <laughs> How did that translate to New Zealand and original music for you at that time? What were you hearing around the traps? What were locals playing? What was their version of that? I think New Zealand cottoned on pretty quickly. Um, I suppose all of those those bands we've been talking about fall under the grunge moniker, when, you know, as they were called. Yep. And I think a lot of bands started to pop up at that time, influenced by that that whole genre I I was you know in Auckland at the time and so there were a lot of live bands at that time and I think that looking back I see them in pockets actually Mm -hmm. of style Mm -hmm. see there there were the bands that were kind of leaning toward the grunge and then there were definitely the the funk metal um, bands there was still a very sort of um, a Dunedin sound influenced Yep. sort of thing going Slight on. Slight jangly. Yeah, the jangly thing. thing, you know, with the vocals kind of lower down in the mix and it, there was definitely still a lot of that going on yeah. in Auckland. Um, I'm assuming around the all of the other uh, cities and towns as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was almost like the back then, in the, in the live scene anyway, there was not really any room for sort of pop. <laughs> Funnily enough, it okay. didn't seem to kind of, or, 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 or we just didn't notice it. I'm not sure. Yeah, it is time for some music because we could wax lyrical <laughs> we about could, yes. those days. You want to play a track by Grantley Buffalo, um, "Rock of Ages," his track, or is it a cover? No, it's his track. Um, "Rock of Ages," I think, originally is the name of a, a well-known hymn. Yep, um, and. Grantly Buffalo from the 90s, I think he um, produced some very fine music mm-hmm. um, and he just didn't kind of seem to maybe get the, the recognition that, that some of the other acts had, yeah. but nonetheless I still think he's he's right up there. And this, this song in particular probably, even though my songs don't really sound like his, mm. um, this song... Um, it really made me think a lot, and I think it directly sort of influenced some of the content of some of the songs off my album. Yeah. Um, and this is off the, his album, Mighty Joe Moon, which I think is is almost a perfect record. Rock 
the beaches I am tumbling down with the roots of trees embrace you where to fall upon my knees and ask you how you can just sit there and be wrong of ages I am crumbling now in an avalanche I'm reaching for the wrong of ages rock of ages This is the Garden of Sound interview with Glenn Bodger on Plains FM 96.9. What was the first big gig or inspiring, amazing, oh my God, kind of kind of thing that you got along to? Dad taking me and a friend of mine to see Genesis. Okay. Yeah, I know. And, Fantastic. Uh, it was a stadium show. This is the th- three of them. We're not talking yeah. like with... 
this isn't Peter Gabriel because no, like no, yeah, years yeah, I'm not that old. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, that was with with Phil Collins singing, yep. and and he and he would play on the drums as well. So yeah. um, I think that was the the Invisible Touch tour. Okay, so you know, was Studio on that? No, that's no? A, that's a Phil Collins that's solo. A Phil Collins. Oh, okay. Yeah. So my memories from the show is that they played for about three hours. They um, seemed to cover quite a lot of their material. Now, at that time, I only really knew the Invisible Touch stuff and, and the album before that, because that's the ones that, that my dad had playing in the car. Yeah, yeah. But some of the older stuff, you know, the prog rock, you know, they played a couple of them. And I, I swear, like... Well, my memory might be deceiving me, but I'm sure one of those songs was about half an hour long. I think it's about 25 minutes, and it's called something about supper, or supper is served, or dinner is served, or something yeah, along. Yeah, the, yeah. I can't remember. I, I, I know the one you're talking about. It could have been that. Could have been. Could have been that. Could one. have been that. Oh wow. Okay. So what did you take away from from that experience? It was the enormity of the of the production. Like the sound was really good. Yep. It was almost like listening to a CD. Brilliant. It was the the sound quality was great. The lighting was amazing. You know, thinking back, that's many many years ago now, and just the the big crowd. I'd never been in the middle of uh, it was sixty thousand people. Yeah, and and here's this loud music coming through this PA. And, yep. and I tell you what, I suppose this sticks with me as well is that Phil Collins has had. I mean, obviously, he's, he's had a lot of success, but I know that also in, in in a lot of circles, he's he's had a lot of flack, like his music. You know, he's kind of a source of ridicule, I, I ridicule for I, some. I don't know why. Yeah, but I, he he was actually his performance was really good. Like he can he really sang like really well. He's a great I was, singer. He's a great drummer. I mean, I don't know why he gets yeah, such a bad rap. I don't know. And I remember him and Chester Thompson, I think was his name, who was their live drummer for yes, touring. Yep. They had they had this drum solo. It was both of them yep. together. Yep. And that was a real highlight as well. Yeah. Of course, you know, back then I was getting drum lessons, so oh, you know, I could see these guys, you yeah. know, like soloing together and sort of dueling. And yeah. and of course, back then, you know, they had these enormous drum kits, you know, you know, with all of these toms, and then they had some electric drums, and yep. you know, it was sort of like, whoa, you know, here's these two drummers going for it, and yeah. it was just like, wow, you know, for a twelve-year-old or whatever I yes. was, thirteen-year-old, yep. it was it was a big experience what about artists that um very much on a smaller scale have really connected i mean again these these bands at the time um hadn't probably they wouldn't have reached their their popularity peak mm. when i saw them but re they really impacted me and i remember going to it might have even been the first big day out okay and um, they had like four, I remember four headline acts and two of them were Soundgarden and the Smashing, Smashing Pumpkins. Pumpkins. Along with the Breeders. The Breeders. Urge Overkill. Urge oh. Overkill, good memory, yes. You know, I wanted to see, you know, can Chris Cornell pull this off, you know, and he did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they might have played an hour or an hour and a quarter, so it wasn't like a long, long time yep. being a festival yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they finished with Jesus Christ Pose. And okay. you know, going I, out with a bang. Going out with a bang. I mean, the guy was nailing these epically graunchy high notes like pretty much not many other people can. And you know, the sound was amazing. Oh, yeah. it was you know, it was one of one of the best concerts I'd seen. Mm -hmm. 
when was the first time you sort of got out, um, not not in the school hall, obviously, mm. got out in front of a, let's say, a, a paying public or, you know, in a pub or something like that? Yes, yeah, so the first time was um, in this band called Braintree that I was in, and um, we would have been about, I was 17. Wow. Um, I think back then you had to be 20 to get into a pub. That's true. Um, yeah. But they never questioned us. Um, and actually, the first gig we played was at the Glue Pot in oh, Auckland. Oh, wow. I don't know how, how we managed to do that, but our drummer, he was quite super organised with with getting gigs. So you've converted to, to the singer at this yes, point? Yes, yeah? yes, that's that's correct. Um, so I was yeah, singing and we were sort of a, a, a vocal, guitar, bass, drum set up. Okay. For the, for the show, there must have been, um, I don't know, a couple of hundred Fantastic. people. So was that nerve-wracking? I think so, casting from memory, mind casting back. my mind back. I think so, leading up during the day, but I think I had a few drinks, you know, yeah. before we went on. Yep. And just, yeah, we sort of... Just, ripped, just the right. Yeah, yeah. Ripped into it, you yeah, know. Yeah. And, I mean, look, we would have played like a 45-minute set. And so just, what what you know. was that brain tree? What was the genre? What was the style? Yeah, I suppose you, it would fall into the grunge category. Okay, yep. Um, but when we started, it must have been around 1990 grunge had not quite kind of seeped through and it was a mixture of like so we were at that time influenced a lot by like faith no more okay and i was probably too much into faith no more Mm -hmm. probably took my my brief influence of them a bit too far in our songs so we kind of started as a sort of a slightly rocky funk metally thing but look within a few months that just dropped off and and we just yeah dropped that whole funky thing it wasn't really us in your performance experience, is there anything that's happened that's been fucking awful? <laughs> I can think of, oh, I can think of a few. I think the first one that springs to mind again, it was back when I was in Braintree where I, I cut my head open on stage. Not intentionally, um, obviously. Un- un- it wasn't, unintentionally. Wasn't no, it wasn't. Uh, it was at the power station yeah. and we were, we'd, we were finishing um, uh, the set and, and there's a point where there's like a, another minute or two where the band plays where there's no singing. So I usually sort of, you know, bow and get off and the band finishes. And uh, for whatever reason, I thought I'll do a roly-poly sort of manoeuvre off the side of the stage. And um, there was a small gap where they used to have like a, a, a lighting console or a sound desk. And so there's this small sort of windowed area um, to sort of for me to roly poly through, and I must have completely misjudged it, and then came and whacked my head on the way through, and sort of fell down onto the floor side of stage. You couldn't see from the audience by that stage. And it was, I was down on the floor, and it was like far out. That really hurt. You know the whole white noise thing going on, and I sort of stood up, and I had my hand on my head. And um, and then there was my eyes were closed and I could hear this dripping and I thought oh man I'm sweating a lot, you know and I looked down and you know it's a this pool of blood is starting to form, um, so there was that. It is time for some more music. Um, I've asked the tremendously difficult question of an all-time fave, and you said something from Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, um, the song. I remember the first time I heard it, and, and again in my teens, it's funny how that happens, and I, it really stood out to me, and I wasn't like a, a Bruce Springsteen fan as such, I didn't know much of his music at that stage, and um, every time I heard it, it really 
I, re- I just connected with it. And it's one of those songs where even to this day I can play it and I've never got sick of it. Okay. Um, and yeah, I, I, I just the the lyrical content and the the structure of the song and and, and the storytelling. I mean, he's a, he's a great lyricist. I think he can really tell stories and really take you there. I just think it's a, it's a really good song. Um, there are a lot of great songs, but yeah, this one came to mind, and I thought, yeah, this is Tunnel of Love off the Tunnel of Love album. Gotta ride 
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Glenn Bodger on Plains FM 96.9. At the end of the section, we're going to hear a track off your new album, I'll Leave the Light On. That's correct. And the track is All's Well Down All Wells Well. Okay. Just why? Just explain. (laughs) Yeah, it's about you know, freedom of speech. And uh-huh. I suppose, you know, that comes from freedom of thought. And yep. and just with the way I see it, um, with the way things are going, there's certain narratives that get pushed and certain narratives that aren't allowed. And and um, there's, there's all sorts of pressure coming from, you know, all sorts of areas about, you know, conforming to certain ways of thinking and mm-hmm. and, and all of that. And, 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 and I'm not... I'm politically I'm I'm disengaged from the left and the right <laughs> now mm-hmm. and um and the, the song just is is just sort of really uh, about that that sort of thing and 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 I do see Orwellian sort of features 1984 features uh, they sort of I I can see them sort of you know here and there and you know um not saying that it's a big conspiracy but it's just humans doing the crappy things they do you know mm. I didn't know what to call the song and I, I thought with the lyrics that are sort of going through the chorus none of them really stood out to me but I was thinking Orwellian and dystopian kind of images in my mind and and, and it just came into my head there's that um, all's well that ends well that that oh, I can't even remember it's from mm. at the moment but but I sort Is of it thought Shakespearean I, I, I think you might be right yeah okay. and and then I Pretty sort of say thought, anything Shakespeare. Yeah, all's well, yep. down all wells all well, well just well. kind of popped into my head. And I thought, well, that's a good tongue twister. And, mm. and it stuck. You say not political now. Were you at one point? Oh, I've never been involved in politics of, of any shape or any persuasion. Um, but uh, I, I, what I mean is that, I'll put it this way, if there was an election tomorrow, I honestly wouldn't know what to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yep. and I'd probably write no confidence on the on the ballot paper. Yeah. Mm. Okay. The production of the song. <laughs> yeah. Where was it? Uh, where was it recorded? Recorded um, in Auckland at a studio called the Tone Exchange, uh-huh. and it's a sort of a small boutique studio that's run by a good old friend of mine, Darren Harkness, who I used to play with in Braintree many years ago. Okay. And what's your relationship been like with? Darren, uh, across these years, there was the Braintree thing, and then uh, I played one gig with a new band that him and, and another Braintree member started called the New Telepathics a long time ago. Cool. Uh, I actually played drums once for them, yeah, um, and that was about it. Um, we'd sort of been in different cities at different times over the years, mm. like we've both been overseas and sort of moving around so we'd talked for the last couple of years about getting together and recording my album mm. and um, it just sort of yeah it happened to work out that we did it at the end of last year who was pushing it were you pushing it or was Darren I mean what was the impetus to get it done because this is your debut album it is my debut album I did um, originally it was meant to happen in like 2018 okay um, and uh, even though he's he's a good friend of mine, he wasn't going to do it for free. Fair enough, I, yeah, I yeah. didn't expect him Folks to. Should get paid. Yeah, that's right. And um, and and then what happened is that I found a, a cheaper option, which I pursued. I recorded a, an album, which didn't turn out how I wanted it to. 
Um, and I just, yeah, it was, so basically it was a failed attempt. Um, and then I just had to kind of, yeah, take stock. And we got talking in 2020 again about doing it. And Darren came down, he was doing an arts on tour thing with um, a percussion group called From Scratch. And he was, they, they had some shows in Christchurch. I remember that was September last year. And we, so we got together quite a bit while he was here. And we sorted it out. It was like, yeah, let's find an, a window when we're both free. And we did it at the, in the late November. Not everything is a is a dead loss, though. How has the experience of the failed attempt informed the new iteration hmm. of the album, or is it a completely different take? How much of the material has sort of survived? Uh, so only two of the songs off that failed album attempt have wow. survived. Okay, um, and. The one thing I can take for sure out of out of this is that working with Darren um, is, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't tell you how well it went. We didn't have any hitches. We were in sync together the whole time. You know the way that we were kind of, I suppose, producing it and mixing it, and was we were very much on the same page, and it just it went like clockwork. You know. Um, there was really no tension between us. You know, you can often, you know, musician, producer, there can, you know, there's always usually moments of disagreement. And and I think the, th- the main thing I'll take out of the, the two album experiences is that, is that my gut feeling was right about the first album where, you know, hey, I actually do know what I'm talking about production-wise. It wasn't a horrific yelling match or anything, but we were... I think we ended up starting to disagree a lot more. And even though it was completed, um, it just wasn't to a standard that I could really put out. And so, yeah. But with Darren, he would listen to everything I would say and take it on board. And, yeah, it it made a difference. And and he, and he, he never once made me feel like I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's important. Mm. All's well, down, all well's well. I'm simple Simon and simple minded. You want me on my knees to you. And who's deciding what's redefined of what you can think and speak?
This is the Gardener Sound interview with Glenn Bodger on Plains FM 96.9. Music videos. Um, we'd had a brief chat before the interview. They're an expensive business to do something all singing and, and all dancing. Like many websites out there that use stock images, you've used stock footage for some of the stuff? Yeah, so I wanted to make music videos for some of the tracks off the album. Yeah. And... Um, not really having a budget that I could get somebody to to make one, yep. and not applying for any kind of funding, yep. I thought, what's the way I can do this? Yep. And so, what happened is that I made a little um, preview video for the first single. I think it was about thirty seconds long, and then you know posted it to social media and things like that. And and I thought, hey, hang on, I could maybe expand that to do the whole song. And so that's what I did. So I did that with the first song. Mm. Quite liked it. Now, yeah. you know, I'm not going to say I'm a, a, a flash filmmaker by yep. any stretch, but but I think I thought I had enough of an eye to kind of pull off something that's going to work. You know, mm-hmm. I thought right, I'm going to do it for another song, and so I did it. And then the then I did it for the third song, the third single, and I thought I'm going to carry on doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was it's license free stuff. Really, the only thing that it's going to cost you is putting in the time. Yep. But yeah, I have to say it is time consuming because you've got to, you can come up with an idea and then try and find footage that matches that idea. Otherwise, you just, all you can look through, I'm looking through a ton of stuff for each song, but it's, it's just part of it, you know, and then putting it together, it's, it's actually been really enjoyable. And it's, uh, I'm going to keep doing it and t- unless I start having a, 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 a decent budget to, to get somebody to, to do one, you know. You're finding clever ways uh, to make st- stuff happen. It must be difficult being an independent mm. musician. I'm imagining you have to re- rely on the support uh, networks around you. Is there anything that you would have done differently around this release? Getting people to listen to it. Okay. Is, is has been the the big thing, and hindsight, you know, is wonderful and and, and all of that. <laughs> and you've sort of thought, oh, I should have maybe I could have done more. Maybe I could have approached this person or this organisation, and 
and and the, you know so I suppose there's there's that what could I have done mm. differently or mm-hmm. better but I but the overall thing for me is that getting people to listen is the hardest be it radio stations yep. or or who, whoever it might be whatever organization or this and that and everything where have you found success listening wise any pockets any mediums any groups where there's been oh wow loving this stuff that kind of response I got a good review from music.net.nz, uh-huh. um, which was nice to read, because um, yeah. that was the first album review that's the only one that's actually come out so far. Yeah. Um, so it was nice to see somebody who's completely neutral that I don't think I've ever met write about about yep. the album. Yep. Um, so you're doing all the, the work yourself. You're, yeah. you're actively hitting up sort of like every avenue there is or every outlet yeah, what I was what I was doing was trying to to sort of hit everywhere at once. Yep. You know, the internet and all yep. of that, and you sort of thinking like, well, I can send it to this yep. person, this place overseas, da 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 da. And of course, you know, I know that I'm not going to be responded to by most people, and that's just part of it. But I, I just found that I was sending copies of my single and singles and videos out to these different places, going onto websites where you can submit to multiple places at once. And, yeah. And and so it's a lot of so basically you can I was spending all day emailing, submitting, doing it. I did it a, you know a lot, and and a lot of independent musicians will know exactly what I'm yeah. talking about. You know, yeah. after a while, it can sort of get a bit can wear you down a bit because you're just not getting the... It's like applying for jobs. Uh, well, it is. Yeah, that's right. It is, exactly. But you're applying for like 100 a day or something. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's... COVID aside, over the last year, how much have you been playing? So after the first lockdown of 2020, I didn't end up playing again until um, February 2021. Wow. So it was actually like sort of one whole year where I didn't perform. Mm. And then in 2021, um, early 2021, of course, knowing I'd just recorded the album, was waiting to get it mastered, that sort of thing. I thought, right, I'm going to get out and at least go to some open mics yep. um, because I can, you know, perform these songs just vocally and, and with acoustic guitar. Yep, yep. Sort of started to do that once or twice a week. Yeah. And um, what's the response been from folks? Yeah, look, it's it's pretty positive, you know. Um, I think it depends on your audience and what they're expecting to hear, especially in an open mic situation. I find that often people respond more to things that they're familiar with. Yeah. Um, so you know, certain a, a, like a good choice of cover always seems to go down well. But yeah. I don't really play covers. Yep. And um, and some of my songs they're a bit more in your face, I suppose. So doing an acoustic version of that. Um, is not normally what people would hear, I yeah. suppose. They wouldn't hear that much. I'm not going to say aggression, but, mm. you know, I kind of, sometimes I, you know, can, you know, give it heaps. Yeah. And so that that can sort of, well, some people react like, oh, I don't know what to make of that. Yeah. You know, it's nice to play to an audience of any size, actually, these days. Yeah. Yeah. The perceived value of music, I think, has dropped. Um, maybe that's another whole conversation, but I think um, playing live to any 
any audience size is, is nice. I yeah. think it's it's harder to pull people away from Netflix and the comforts of our lovely modern life to you yeah. know go and see a, a live performance of somebody that's yep. not getting played on on the radio and the TV all the time. Yeah, that's mm. much to ponder. Yes. Um, going to take a very short break. We're going to come back and we're going to play mini quiz. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Glenn Bodger on Plains FM 96.9. Just a quick note to tell you about our sponsor, The Nephilist. If you're looking for a non-alcoholic tipple with free delivery in Christchurch, head to thenephilist.com or you can visit The Nephilist at events across Canterbury this summer and grab yourself a non-alcoholic beer, wine or cocktail. Find out more online at The Nephilist. That's N-E-P-H-A-L-I-S-T. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Glenn Bodger on Plains FM 96.9. We're going to play mini quiz now and I'm going to ask you 10 questions about music. You're going to have 60 seconds to uh, do your best to answer them. Um, and I think you're going to do pretty well on these. Um, and yeah, if you just don't know the answer, just say pass and say pass quickly so we can get through them. Mm-hmm. Um pretty fast all right um glenn bodger your mini quiz starts the song i dreamed a dream forms part of which popular musical i know this pass which country do the band Supergroove come from (coughs) new zealand what was chuck berry's real first name charles Don Henley is best known as a founding member of which famous band? The Eagles. The 1980s rock band Pseudo Echo came from which country? Australia. What's the full name of the New Zealand country musician who married Nicole Kidman in 2006? What's his name? I know it. I know his... I know, I know it. Pass. Peter Garrett was lead singer with which famous musical band? Midnight Oil. Which music band... Had a hit entitled Rockin' All Over the World. I know this too. Pass. Who performed the 2005 best-selling single entitled Heard Em Say? Don't know that. Okay, your time is up. We're just going to go through those answers. Okay, so uh, I Dreamed a Dream comes from Les Miserables. Oh, of course. Uh, Super Groove. Yep. Yep, couldn't get enough of that one. Charles, well done. Chuck Berry, The Eagles, Don Henley, uh, Pseudo Echo, yes, from Australia. Uh, Keith Urban. Keith Urban. Just couldn't get his name. Midnight Oil, yes, well done. Um, Rockin' All Over the World, status quo. Rockin' All Over the World. That's right. And who performed the 2005 best-selling single entitled Heard Him Say? That was Kanye West. Ah, No, I I really didn't know that one. Mm. Um, We do have one more track of yours to listen to today. Uh, It is of I'll Leave the Light On, and it's called Trapeze. That's Uh, correct. What's Trapeze about? So Trapeze um, is really about the world we live in, uh, I suppose, in its current state. So I talk about in the song Uncertainty um, and things like that. It was written pre-COVID, so it was written in 2018. 18 um but it's funny how it sort of seems to suit the times more now um just through through events um and it's essentially it's it's uh well you know there's metaphorical stuff going on in the song but it's really a a thing of like 
this is life now. There is a lot of uncertainties. What do you hold on to to kind of, you know, keep you grounded, I suppose? Yeah. You know, um, and and who do you hold on to? That's it, really. I mean, it's maybe, you know, a little bit vague, but hopefully the lyrics, you know, sort of speak for themselves. Glenn, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for joining me today on the show and thanks to Glenn Bodger for being my guest. You can find out more about Glenn and his new album, I'll Leave the Light On, by heading to gardenofsound.nz and clicking on his image on the front page. I'm Ian Turner and I look forward to bringing you Garden of Sound at the same time next week. In the meantime, keep well, keep listening and keep playing. In the horror.